0: Okay, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, and we'll be picking up in chapter number two. Uh, We kind of introduced the book last week. We don't know anything about Malachi, but we do know that his name means the messenger of the Lord. And he had a message for the people of Israel, and it's really sad that uh, uh, the message is so uh, terse and... uh, uh, it just shows the state of the people only a few years after they had returned from captivity Uh, it's as if we never learn our lessons uh and thank goodness in the new covenant we have the spirit of god and uh he's our teacher and he's with us all the time to to guide us and rebuke us they didn't have that and and uh they were fallen creatures and and they pretty much stayed fallen the whole time they had their ups and downs but but you would have think you would have thought that after uh, 70 years of hard captivity, that they would have come back and been appreciative that the Lord gave them another chance, and they would have learned from their forefathers, but they didn't. And uh, uh, when you get all the way over to the book of Acts, and Stephen is, is making his case uh, to the Jews. Uh, defending the gospel, why there has to be a gospel? One of the things he does is he rehearses their history for them, and it's kind of the point of his message that their history was a history of stubbornness and rebellion. They're never at any time in their history did they listen and obey the Lord, and so, uh, like I say, it's sort of it's sort of sad. And so uh, as we come back to uh, Malachi chapter two. The Lord continues his diatribe with the people, and uh, this time he's going to make a complaint against the Levite priest, beginning in verse number one. And uh, these were these were the supposedly the holy people of Israel. But listen to what he says in verse number one. He says, "And now, O priest, this this com- commandment or this word is for you. Uh, we know all about the Levite priest, or we know a little bit about the Levite priest. We don't know all about the Levite priest, but we know that they were set apart. They were to be." Special to the Lord and uh, they were to handle the offerings and sacrifices that were brought to the temple uh, uh, On behalf of the people uh, And they were actually Handled the judicial system of Israel and so they had a very important role uh, In Israeli society and, and uh, They were, were rewarded very handsomely For what they did if you remember back in the Levitical law uh, They were given a good portion of the offerings so they had plenty of food, and they also were given a piece of land outside the cities, wherever they ministered. And so they had a pretty good life, and they were taken care of. I mean, they were actually, you know, you'd call them upper-middle-class people, but they weren't satisfied with that. Uh, and so they tried, did everything they could to make as much money as they could uh, in, in the business of religion. And that's why when Jesus came to the temple twice, he comes to the temple and he cleanses the temple of money changers. Because they had just turned the whole thing into, into, a, into a business. And, and they were trying to get as rich as they possibly could. And so the Lord rebukes them. He says in verse number two, he says, if you will not hear and you will not take it to heart to give glory to my name. That's, that's your business. Your business is not to make yourself wealthy. I've provided for you you should be satisfied with what I've given you. But if you will make it your business to give glory to my name, uh, then you're going to be blessed. But if you don't take that to heart, says the Lord of hosts, I will send a curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Now that's pretty bad. They thought they were being blessed, but uh, he was going to curse their blessings. I mean, have you ever had a blessing that was cursed? I mean, you get a card and you think, wow, what a blessing. And then it turns out to be a lemon and you have all sorts of trouble with it. And and uh, uh, you realize real quickly maybe that wasn't a car the Lord had for you, you know. Uh, but but uh, He can certainly curse our blessings, and and so He warns these people that uh, if 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 their main motive was to get rich and not to glorify His name, then uh, then He was going to curse them. And really, in in one way, He already has cursed them. Because look what He says: Yes, I have cursed them already. I mean, you think you're blessed, but you're really cursed because you do not take it, your ministry, you not take it, your ministry to heart. You're not serious about your ministry. You're not serious about what I've called you to do. And so I think the biggest way that God cursed the Levitical priesthood was by removing his Holy Spirit. I mean, that's, at that point, they should have known that everything they were doing was nothing more than dead works. But they didn't even realize that. They didn't realize how bad their condition was. They didn't realize that they were being cursed because all they cared about was their money and all they cared about was their power. And their condition was so bad that when Jesus Christ came into the temple, I mean, who is Jesus Christ? He's none other than God Almighty. I mean, and he did all sorts of, he did everything the Father wanted him to do, he did. And he performed all of these miracles and he fulfilled all of these prophecies About the coming Messiah. And yet they didn't even recognize God. When he was in their midst. They had become so. uh, Cold to the things of God. And so dead to the things of God. That they couldn't even recognize the Messiah. A few hundred years later. When he comes into the temple. In fact they hated him. They, they, They hated him. It just shows whose side they were on. They were on the devil's side. They hate him so much that they crucified him. I mean they crucified the king of glory. And so they were cursed in the day of Malachi and they were going to be cursed uh, even more so uh, later on because uh, after Jesus was crucified, uh, a few decades after that, uh, Titus came into Jerusalem and he destroyed the city and he destroyed the temple. And there was no priesthood anymore. I mean, the priesthood at that point was a thing of the past. And so... uh, uh, when the temple went down and the people went into captivity, there, uh, the Levitical priesthood was done. It was it was finished. I mean, listen to the to the very, I don't want to say crude way, or maybe the Lord didn't crude, but the frank way in which he describes that day when the priesthood is destroyed. Look at how he destri- describes it in verse number three. He says, Behold, I will rebuke your, descend- your descendants. In other words, there's coming a day, they were around 400 uh, B.C., 450 B.C., uh, uh, around 400 years later, when Titus did come in, almost 500 years later, uh, they, they were rebuked. Their descendants were rebuked. They were rebuked in a very sin, uh, severe way because the priesthood was wiped out. He said, I will spread refuse on your faces. Now, you can look up that word refuse in the Hebrew, but you just imagine a little bit. It's In the Greek Septuagint, it's dung. So you got to figure out what dung is, and you get got an idea of what refuse is. And the refuse of your solemn fe- feast. I mean, all the guts and and manure and all of that kind of stuff. He says, I will spread that on your faces. He's just, that's the, the way the Lord, I mean, the Lord didn't literally do that. But what he's saying is, you're going to be humiliated. This is a metaphor for the way you're going to be humiliated when, 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 uh, Jerusalem is captured by the Romans and, and uh, uh, you're, you're sent off into captivity or killed. And one will take you away with it. And so there was coming a day when the, there would be uh, they were, they would, these proud leaders of Israel, the proud leaders of the Levites, they would be humiliated and the priesthood would be no more. But that didn't mean the priesthood would end. The priesthood did not end at that point. Listen to what he says. He says in verse number four, Then you shall know that I have sent this word to you, that my or commandment, that my covenant with Levi may continue. One day it will continue, says the Lord of hosts. Now, when's it going to continue? It's going to continue when the millennial temple's built. And then there will, the Levite priesthood will uh uh, serve the Lord and serve the Israelites in that day Now that could be a metaphor of the church i don 't think so. I think they're, they, the Levite uh, will be gathered together, and they actually will minister to the Lord in the temple but that 's a long stretch between seventy a d and the millennium uh, it 's at least two thousand years uh, before the, the Levitical priesthood would be is going to be restored and that 's pretty sad. It should have never happened. And, and because that's not the way God intended it. Let's know what he, how, what he had given these people. Look at verse number five. He says, my covenant was with him, with the Levite, one of life and one of peace. I mean, I had special plans for them and I gave them. Uh, the Levites were a gift to the people. They were intended to be a gift to the people. They were to minister to the people on behalf of the Lord And they were to minister to the Lord on behalf of the people. And so they were a gift both to the Lord and to the people. And their job was to teach them God's word uh, uh, that they might fear me, he says, looking on in that verse right there. And early on, that's what they did. And they they were good at that. And they did their jobs and they taught the people and the people feared the Lord. Look at the last part of the earth. So the Israelite, so he, the Levite and the Israelite feared me and was reverent before my name. As long as they were functioning as they should and doing their job, then, then uh, you know, the people feared the Lord and uh, they were reverent before the Lord. Now, not only were they in charge, teaching the people they were also to set an example for the people an example of holiness to the Lord uh, for all the people to see and early on they did that too look at verse number six the law of truth was in his mouth in the Levite's mouth and injustice was not found on his lips I mean he didn't lie he told the truth he walked with me I mean, that was the great reward. Remember, the Levites were told, you don't get an inheritance in the land because I'm your great reward. The Lord was the reward for the Levite. And they walked with him in peace and equity. I mean, they lived in a world that was full of turmoil, but yet they lived in peace and in righteousness and our equity. And they turned many away from iniquity by the example they set they turn sinners to the Lord for the lips of the priest should keep knowledge and the people should seek the law from his mouth. They should go to the priest, go to the Levite, listen to what he has to say and seek the truth from his mouth for he is a messenger of the Lord of hosts. So, so but he wasn't a messenger just in words. He was a messenger by the way he lived his life. Um, so their job, if you look at this passage here, was to teach the word. Uh, they, they were to show, uh, to, to lead the judicial system. They were to execute justice. They were to be an example of God's mercy and justice. They were to be a messenger of the Lord. And if they did all of that, then they functioned as they were supposed to. And they turned many people away From iniquity but over time and it didn't want a very long time but over time because you get you get to the time of the judges and you get to the time uh, even past the judges and you see how corrupted the priesthood became you remember in Samuel Eli was a priest and his sons were corrupt and Samuel became a priest and he became a great priest because all he did he didn't do anything special I mean, I guess he did do something special, but he really did what a Levite priest was supposed to do. And that made him special because he was the only one doing it. But but really, all of them should have been doing that. I mean, you get to the days of Elijah and, and Elisha and all of those guys, they were special. But all of the Levite priests should have been special. All of the prophets should have been special. He says, but you have departed from the way. You have, instead of leading people away from their iniquity, you've caused many to stumble at the law. Uh, and and uh, so the Lord says, he says, you have corrupted the covenant of Levi. In other words, that's the task that I gave you and you failed in fulfilling the task, says the Lord of hosts. And so you've lost your purpose, you've lost your way, you've lost your vision, and now you're going to be cursed. And then in verse number nine, he says, therefore, I also have made you contemptible. Now, this is, this is kind of a progression that takes place, too, in the ministry when you don't do things the Lord's way. He says, I have made you contemptible to society and base before all the people. Uh, you know, you've lost your respect. Uh, it, you remember in the Gospels, when Jesus was preaching on this earth, you remember how the priesthood, they had all the power and all the wealth in Israel. And, and, and the only people that maybe were hated worse than them or despised worse than them were the tax collectors. But but they had lost their standing. They had, had standing with Rome and they had standing with Herod and they had all sorts of power and they had all sorts of wealth. But they had lost their standing with the people. They had become contemptible to the people, you know, ever since I've been a little kid and i I go back now now I see some of the movies I used to watch when I was a kid, mainly Westerns, but I like to, I love Westerns. But in those movies, the preacher is always made to be sinister or stupid or foolish or a liar or something like that. And, and, uh, you know, I used to wonder, you know, Lord, uh, and, and now you, see, you still see that. And you wonder, why in the world, Lord, do you allow it to be that way? Well, I've been around long enough to see why. I mean, ministers have become contemptible because they do contemptible things. I mean, and I'm not just talking about pastors. I'm talking about people, all sorts of people in the ministry. They do things that people look at and they say to themselves, hey, their talk, uh, I mean, their walk doesn't match their talk. And, and sometimes, I've got to tell you, I see some things, I've seen some things in the last few years that some pastor friends of mine have done that make me almost ashamed to even call myself a pastor. And, and, and so, uh, when, the people, when the ministry is contemptible, then, then are, when the people in the ministry are doing contemptible things, then God's going to make it contemptible to society. He's going to allow it to be contemptible to, be, to, be, to society. Now, what's that got to do with you out there? You're not a pastor, and you, you probably you don't consider yourself a minister, but you are. We're all ministers. We're priests. We're a kingdom of priests. We're the Levite priesthood spiritually. We're the priesthood to the Gentiles. We're the priesthood uh, really to the whole world because there is no Levitical priesthood right now. So that's our job. And so you can look, at these, look back at this passage here. And you can see that as priests, first of all, we're to be messengers of the word of God. We carry the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're ambassadors for Jesus Christ. I mean, some of us are evangelists, some of us are teachers, some of us are comforters, but whatever our gift is, we're to use that as messengers uh, to get out the gospel of Jesus Christ. And not just with our words, but by our example. We're to lead by example. And if we fulfill all of that, then we'll have a part in turning people from iniquity. If we don't fulfill all of that, then we become contemptible. I mean, I, 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 there's a, and he's going to address this later on, but, but there's a lot of people that, uh, that live a hypocritical life. They pretend to be something they aren't and people can read that. And, and that's why I think we have so little impact. On this world as a church is because uh, we don't follow this pattern that God has set us up to follow and so we fail it at the ministry and and uh, and when we do that uh, and we're not serving God and we're not serving others as we should be and our religion is all about us it's not about God and it's not about serving others then our blessings will even become curses and we'll live a cursed life and we won't lead anybody to the Lord. But now as as we come to verse number 10, God totally changes uh, direction here and he goes back to addressing the people as a whole. He's been addressing the priest, the Levite priesthood and now he addresses the people as a whole and this diatribe between the people and the Lord continues on. We looked at the first part of that and In chapter number one. But listen to what he says. Now he's going to raise some hypothetical questions here. Uh, And he says. I guess you could say it's the Lord speaking and the people speaking. He says have we not all one father. Has not one God created us. Why do we deal then if that's so. Why do we deal treacherously with one another by profaning the covenant of the fathers. Now, I want to spend a little bit of time on this verse because a lot of people run to this verse in order to prove the brotherhood of mankind. In other words, that God is the father of every human being. I don't think that's what this is saying at all. Now, apparently the translators did because they capitalized the word father. And if they capitalize the word father, then that means here that they're speaking of God. But I agree with commentators like Ironside who believe that the father here is not God. The father here, remember how they'd say father what? Remember the song? Sing it. Father Abraham. So the father here is Abraham. And in context here, I, I'm sure that's what it is because he talks about profaning the covenant of the fathers. Now the covenant of the fathers speaks of who? What nation? That's the nation of Israel, and it speaks of the fathers, that's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then the 12 sons, the 12 tribes, and really the fathers are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those are the fathers, and that was the covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, that was passed down from Abraham, down to Isaac, down to Jacob, and then to the 12 tribes of Israel. So so going back here, read it in that sense, he says, have we not one father? Now God's addressed here. But God's not addressed as a father. It specifically says, has not one God created us. So God is spoken of not as the father in this passage. He's spoken of as the creator. Now, he created Israel. So, you know, he is their creator too. But they have one father, and that's Father Abraham. And and, and so what the point that, that uh, the Lord's making here through Malachi's words is this, that they're a, all of the Israelites were a creation of God. They were all children of Abraham. And they were all beneficiaries of the Abrahamic covenant. And so that made them a nation of brothers and sisters. They're God's special people. They're separate from the rest of the world. But, and so they were holy. They were a holy family. But they weren't acting like a holy family. They were acting Excuse me, like a very worldly family. Look at verses 11 and 12. It says, Judah has dealt treacherously and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution. Now he's talking about marriage here, which he loves. Now he loves, God loves marriage. How have they profaned it? Because the Israelite has married the daughter of, of a foreign god. So you can see the problem here. I mean, they were they were marrying foreign women, they were putting aside the Israeli women and they were marrying foreign women who worshiped foreign gods. And so those foreign gods were becoming part of their family. And that was polluting the seed of Abraham. Because that seed was to be pure. That seed was to be nothing but Israeli seed. It was to all to be the Israel Israel, the Israeli nation was to be made up of nothing but Israelites. And so and I think the main reason for that and and there's some uh, there's some exceptions where God blessed families that uh, where the husband married a Gentile woman uh, Ruth case in point, who happens to be the great, great grandmother of David. So, uh, you know, you can, you can, uh, uh, see that there's exceptions to this. So he's talking in general, you know, they were, this is what they, they were the way they were messing up and they weren't marrying Ruth. They were meth- They were, they were marrying she devils, you know, people who worship foreign gods. And in verse number 12, it says, may the Lord cut off, from the tents of Jacob, uh, the man who does this, in other words, he's no longer part of the Abrahamic covenant covenant, being awake and aware he who yet he yet who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts, in other words, they were taking these foreign gods uh, or these foreign wives, and bringing these foreign gods into their family, and what they were doing they were they were profaning the covenant just like Esau profaned profane the covenant. They didn't value the fact, the purity of being an Israelite. They didn't value the Abrahamic covenant. They didn't. They, they you know, they would rather just be part of the world. And so uh, God says, "Hey, I don't, I don't want your offerings. Keep your offerings. I don't want them." Now here I say, bring them anyway. But, but <laughs> I'm telling you, but He says, you know, uh, I don't want your offering. Keep your offerings, says the Lord of hosts. And then verse number 13. And here's, here's the real gist of what he's trying to say. And, and this is the second thing you do. You, wait a minute, I missed a very important part of this. i got to get back and find it here. No. No, we're 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 on track. I'm sorry. I thought he was switching gears, but he hadn't. All right, verse thirteen is where we're at, right? David, please cut that out of the. I don't want people to know I mess up from time to time. <laughs> verse number thirteen, and this is the second thing you do. You cover. The altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying, so he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. So here were these people, and they were coming to church, or coming to the temple to worship, and they were showing all sorts of emotions, as if how broken they were, and how much they loved the Lord, and and uh uh how much they wanted to be with the lord and uh how much they wanted the lord to bless them uh but their hearts were far from the lord and that was shown by the fact the way they were allowing these pagan people to be come into their uh homes and and not just visit i'm talking about marrying pagan wives and 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 so by doing that they were playing the hypocrite. They really didn't love the Lord. They really didn't value the Abrahamic covenant. They didn't value the inheritance they had as an Israelite. And so when they came to the to the uh, temple and they were showing all of this emotion as if they did, then they were playing the hypocrite. Now, you know, nothing bothers me more than for people to show all sorts of emotion and then their life doesn't match up with that emotion. Uh, uh, and I've, I've seen this over and over again in a ministry where where people, you know, something really bad they're doing in their life, something bad's going on, and then they come to church and, you know, they're shouting and jumping, and that, that's, they're wearing a mask. That's hypocrisy, and the Lord sees right through that. And we need to check our hearts that we don't do that, that we're not faking our emotions or and somehow in order to cover things we're doing in our life that that we know we ought not be doing. The best thing we need to do is repent and and get right with the Lord. And that's what the Lord was looking for. I'm not looking for your emotions. He says, you cover the, the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying. So he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands, because it's hypocrisy. Then in verse number four, yet you say, for what reason? Aren't you aren't you impressed with our emotions? I mean, for what reason do you not accept our offerings? And he goes on. He says, because the Lord has been witness between you and your wife of your youth with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Just like, you know, when you break that covenant, you're really breaking the Abrahamic covenant. So they were divorcing their wives uh and those wives were children of abraham too and uh they were part of the covenant and so they were doing you'll see in a minute they were doing violence to the covenant in the fact that they were wanting more beautiful women and they were dumping their wives just for uh pleasure for instead of instead of uh uh, keeping the covenant that they had made when they got married. But verse number 15. But did he not make them one? You know. There you go. You know, From the wedding vows. What well, God has joined together. You know. Uh, let no man put asunder. Uh, from Genesis. God unites the man and the wife. And they become one. And so when God puts two people together. uh Then that marriage is you could say is made in heaven. And so the Israelis did things different back then. Their their marriages were prearranged. And so, you know, if if they were prearranged, then you got the wife that your family wanted you to have. But hopefully that was the wife that God wanted you to have. And if all things were done in the Lord, then that would be the wife that God wanted you to have. God, through His providence, arranged these marriages through these families. And so, you know, if the family was living for God, then that marriage was arranged by God. I have no doubt in my mind that God planned for Jacob to marry Leah. And she wasn't very good looking, so He knew He would marry Rachel too. And he wanted him to marry Rachel and Leah. That was planned probably before the foundation of the world. And so God arranged that marriage. And, 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 and uh, get, he brings them together in, as one spirit. And he has a purpose in all of that. And look at this purpose here. He says, but did he not make them one? Having a remnant of the spirit. And why one? Here's why. This is the reason God ordains marriage. This is the reason God puts two people together. This is the main purpose. He seeks godly offspring. That's his purpose in marriage. God wants more children. More children of God. Not children of the devil. Now you put the odds on that. There are exceptions to this. But you put the odds on that. Where are those children going to come from? Are they going to come when there's two. Are the best odds when there's two godly spouse, spouses. Both in the spirit of God. Or when there's one godly spouse. And one ungodly spouse. It's two godly spouses. And that's why God set things up. Where the Israelites were not to marry. Outside of their their uh, their Nation, and the reason was that their nation was set apart by God and given the Spirit of God. And these people, when they were married, were given a united spirit. And and their and God's purpose in that was because God seeks godly offspring. You know he, that doesn't change today. The most important part of marriage is to produce godly offspring. And if you fulfill that purpose, then you're going to have a blessed marriage. If you don't fulfill that purpose, I mean, you, you, you might have a decent marriage, but you're not going to have the kind of marriage you can have when you're raising godly children. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none of you deal treacherously with the wife of your youth. Because, because I put you together with that woman. I put you together with that man so that you could have uh, godly offspring. You know, I don't know how far you take this. And God certainly can make exceptions to this. But I can tell you right now, if, if a Christian marries a Hindu or they marry a Muslim, they're going to have trouble at some point. You marry a Jehovah's Witness, you're going to have trouble at some point. At some point, uh, it's going to affect how you raise your children and what's your purpose of your marriage is to raise your up godly children. And so it helps if both people are godly. And if if you got one that's not godly, then it's going to, it's going to cause problems at some point. All right. Verse number 16, it says for the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce for it, covers one's garment with violence it, it or uncleanliness or unholiness, and let me tell you why because it corrupts his seed. See if he puts two godly to put together two godly people together and one of them marries an ungodly person and divorces his godly wife, then that the chances of raising godly uh, uh offspring are are diminished tremendously almost made no and so he hates divorce for it covers one's garment with violence says the lord of hosts therefore take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously with your wife then he finishes this with one last rebuke in verse number 17 uh, to the israeli people he says you have wearied the lord with your words in other words, I hear what you say. The Lord hears everything. You know, there's passages in the Bible where it talks about a husband and wife when they're talking. The Lord hears that. When you're in your tents, I hear what you're saying. When you're in your homes, the Lord hears what we say. He hears, sees, and hears how we treat each other. And he says, I've listened to you, and I've listened to your hearts, and you've wearied me with your words. And this is how. In what way have we wearied him? Now the Israeli people answer. In that you say everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. And he delights in them. And I don't know the or should be there. But where is the God of justice? I mean where is the God of justice? You know. I think God's probably wearied with a lot of people today in the United States of America Because. Uh, there's a lot of people in America who consider themselves good Christian people, but in reality, they practice evil and people are quick to tell you, you know, God is a God of love. So he just kind of winks at that evil that, that, you know, they practice evil, but, but, uh, You know God is a God of love and so we're all good in God's eyes. We're all going to go to heaven. And God says answers back. He says where is the God of justice. The God who hates evil. The God who punishes evil. Where is that God in your theology. He hates though who practice evil. You know you can call yourselves a Christian. To your blue in the face. But if we practice evil, we are not good in the sight of the Lord. We're not good because God is just. God is love, but God is just. Now, don't get me wrong. I know the blood of Christ is what makes us good. But then that blood is life. And that life gives us the power to live righteous lives he gives us the power to want to live righteous lives and if we don't and if we want to live righteous lives and we have the power to live righteous lives, then more than likely we're not going to practice evil we're going to practice good and so we're going to be good in god's eyes it's not just i mean i, I love the fact that i've been perfected forever in jesus christ and i have that standing and that standing can never be taken away from me but God also wants me to practice that goodness. And I should want to practice that goodness if I'm truly born again. Because listen to what John says in 1 John chapter 3. He says, he who practices righteousness is righteous. I mean, if you're, and you can reverse that. He who is righteous practices righteousness. But he who practices sin is of the devil. He's evil. And so here with the Israelis, they were saying all these people are doing all of these things, but it's okay because they're Israelis. And they were saying, these people are good people. They're pretty good people. You know, they're pretty good people. And the Lord says, how can they be good if they delight in evil? And where, you know, yes, I'm a God of love, but where is the God of justice? And so as Christians, we love righteousness. And we want to practice righteousness. And when we don't practice righteousness, we don't lose our salvation. But God has a a belt He uses. And you can expect to be disciplined by God if you begin to fall into unrighteousness. Because God is a God of justice. He's a God of love. And He's a God of justice. And because He's a God of justice, He's not going to let His children... Live in sin. You can just bank on that. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word. And uh, we, we are so blessed to be called children of God. But Lord, with that blessing comes great responsibility. Father, help us to be the kind of people who share your word, Lord. We're your messengers. But we also practice your word. Lord, you've given us your Holy Spirit. We have the power, Lord, to be righteous. We have your Spirit and we love righteousness. So help us to be the people you've called us to be, Lord, so that we can turn many away from iniquity. And Lord, so that we can come together, these younger people who aren't married yet, Lord, that they come together, we pray that they come together in a marriage, Lord, that That where the purpose is clear, that purpose is to raise up children, to be your children, Lord, godly children. Children who will recognize that they're sinners, but also know the gospel of Jesus Christ and be saved, Lord. And then they will live righteously, and they will raise up godly children. Lord, help that cycle not be broken in this room. And we just ask that uh, you do that by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.